0: Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about how our Easter's went. We're going to talk about how do you choose the news that you consume. And then Jordan Bumgartner is going to join us. That's coming up here on The Common Good. Well, happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Excited to have you joining us uh, again, from our homes today, like everybody, we are in our homes, not wearing face masks because we're in our homes. Uh, I was at the grocery store earlier, man, and it, it is just weird to not only did I wear face masks, but to see the people with face masks, it's still really a strange deal. Yeah, it's its
1: eerie almost in general. I don't know why. It's funny because nah, funny's not the right word. It was interesting. My wife tends to be much more on top of these things than I am. And I remember like two or three weeks ago, she wore a mask and she admitted she's like, I felt a little self-conscious. I was like the only one wearing a mask. And then like a week later, everyone was. Yeah, yeah. She, she was like it was like seven days and like the whole like tone had had shifted. It was very strange.
0: It is. And so uh, we're excited to have you join us today. Again, uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk and our podcast wherever it is You get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, That does help us. Well, yesterday uh, was a big day. It was Easter, but uh, kind of a strange Easter weekend. And I thought we would just start by talking about how the Easter weekend, Good Friday, Easter uh, Sunday, were for us as pastors and just, uh, you know, just as dads and husbands uh, in this really strange time of doing everything online, so uh, let's start with you. How was your Easter? I mean, it was strange. That's yeah. for sure. Uh,
1: you know, we have a bunch of online services, and all the community staff um, are a part of different online streams. And so, we're in the chat section, which for me is not the same. But I am really grateful for that opportunity to to greet people and to connect with people, and we're sharing comments back and forth, which is not something that you do live. Actually, that's, that's an I, element that I've strangely sort of enjoyed because you're seeing in real time, like the parts of the message that stood out to them or what song they liked Our arts team put together this like really incredible, um, opening song where it was, I mean, it was like 60 different artists and singers all sort of merged together. So that all these little squares on the screen singing and playing in harmony. And it was, that was remarkable. Uh, But we, yeah, we had a, we had a meal together. The weather was decent. So we, you know, we got a tire swing in the back. We took like our, uh, our grungy Easter photo. We were like barefoot. We had been playing (laughs) in the sand and mud. So like nobody had even showered that day. I don't, that's probably TMI, but it was (laughs) like, you know what, this, this feels right for this moment that we're in. Exactly. It's just me and my, my wife and our boys just standing barefoot. And I set up a little tripod. So, uh, overall, it was great. And I told you before we went, we went live here, the, uh, the movie we watched together was Onward. And That's I heard right. a lot of buzz around that. And both of my boys, I mean, they're pretty young, so I don't know that they understood it, but my wife and I loved it. So that was, yeah, it was a, overall, I think it was, it was a good Sunday. Plus, also I mention this, my friend Amash shared his testimony in our services, and it is one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. So I
0: was really grateful for, uh, for
1: him and his willingness to share that story.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. For us too, obviously being online, uh, like everybody, uh, it was, uh, it was just, uh, different, right? Like to be home and watching yourself and, and to be not with everybody on Easter. But we also, uh, we tried to do some things in our service. So we ended the service and instead of doing a benediction, uh, we had had people in our church film themselves, just saying he has risen, he has risen indeed. And we just ran it as a montage And uh, that was really fun to see people's faces again. Like, you're just like, I haven't seen you in a month. Like, I haven't actually seen you in a month. Uh, And then Scott and our worship team did something very similar to what you're just saying they did. uh, Basically doing it with squares on a screen. And we did a song that way. Uh, And so it was, uh, I I said it to Scott, uh, our other pastor, this way. It was as good as it could have been without all being together. (laughs) And so. Right, right. uh, I actually preached. It was really funny. At good Friday. I told you I was going to do this the other day. Uh, good Friday. I read your description of good Friday and I thought it went over. Well, you should know that went oh, over thanks. really well. Uh, and then uh, a lot of my message on Sunday was about the, dis- the discouragement of Saturday and like that just kind of feel <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. leading into Sunday. And then I read this thing online after I'd finished and I'd already recorded it. You wrote a great thing about uh Saturday. <laughs> I was like, oh, I just need, I need to start checking Ian's feed beforehand. <laughs> yeah,
1: if, if only we were friends on
0: Facebook. Exactly. I saw the tire swing yesterday. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, afterwards it, it just became another day at home. Right. But it was fun. My, uh, my wife made, uh, had a huge meal plan with the Easter ham and all this. And each of us took a different part of it. Nice. Uh, as is often the case, my son and I have the the, the parts that can least easily be messed up. <laughs> sure. That sounds about right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then we watched a movie last night. We were cutting. We were right on the cutting edge of new movies. We we watched with the kids sister act last night. <laughs> I don't Whoa, know. If it. <laughs> you guys <are> so current. <laughs> we we're right on the edge, but I actually forgot how good that movie was. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I believe it. Um, how did your Good Friday, I, when we last were together, you guys were doing, uh, you were going to be doing some sort of prayer experience and then a Good Friday service. We had a Good Friday service as well. Uh, did that kind of uh, accomplish what you were, what you were hoping it would?
1: Yeah. Again, to brag on our arts team, they did an incredible job putting together this like digital interactive experience. So we've a couple of the times at the yellow box, created like a prayer walk using different rooms in the building. But because we obviously couldn't go to different rooms together physically, we created like different digital rooms. And oh, wow. uh, the whole, the whole thing I think would have taken about a half hour or so, but there, are uh, di- a different series of videos that would each automatically play. But there was like interactive moments and there was scripture reading and there was different animation and it was just really. And so that happened from five 30 to seven and then at seven o'clock Jason Ishmael, uh, one of our teaching pastors, associate pastor over at the Plainfield location, just killed it. Like it was an it was an incredible uh, Good Friday message, and I think he just had the right. You know, Good Friday is such a different kind of service. Oh yeah, and striking the right kind of tone with all of that, especially in light of all this, I just thought I thought he did a great job of striking that balance of uh, of like weight and grief, but also. Like looking forward to Resurrection Sunday, and you know, I have a weird
0: affection for Good Friday. Yeah, so do I. Uh, so let me close with this: Did you feel like people were uh, longing for the celebration of Easter, like we need some light and hope, or were people more subdued, in your opinion? Like, uh, I don't know, I'm just down right now with all that's going on. Which way did you feel as you interacted with people? People, people leaning for Easter.
1: You know, I don't, I don't know that I would say subdued necessarily, but it feels like giving space for grief and sadness feels like a balm for people right now like my yeah. wife and I recorded a song on Saturday from a band called Citizens and the whole song is sort of about it's this declaration of God never leaving our side no matter what we're facing and the feedback for that even has been interesting because it feels like yes we we want the hope and celebration of Easter but we also want like the honesty of like right now is hard or what yeah. we're sitting in is difficult and it, and sometimes i i find that people just simply want permission to like take a deep breath and for us to all look at the same thing together be like, this is tough, right? Like you also feel this is tough. Yeah. And to have someone, especially the church say, yeah, this is tough. I don't know. I, to me it feels very freeing. So I, I think it's both, both and, I don't think it's a wallowing at all, but yeah, the, the giving permission to experience and articulate grief, sadness, uncertainty, I think is uh, is really, really
0: important. Yeah. And I felt like, what I got a lot of messages from people was like Easter kind of heightened also the, I really miss being together. I miss yeah, my friends. Right. I miss my people, my family. And, uh, I think that was it. It really was kind of, a. <laughs> it was that picture of that already not yet that we're still struggling yet we can celebrate. And so we hope yeah. you had a great, great Easter out there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it is still uh, a day of great celebration. We'll come up next. We're going to dive right back into the coronavirus pandemic, talking about how do we consume news and how do we choose news that we trust? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, you can always find us on Facebook at the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show. Find us on Twitter at common good talk. And, uh, you can find old shows both at 1160 hope.com and also on our podcast. What? Uh, Yeah, there is a podcast. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, uh, but there you can find, uh, like the interview with Scott Saul's last week and some of the other interviews we've been doing, uh, you can find those there and, uh, we're excited about those and would love for you to do it. Uh, I want to talk about how do we consume news during the c- coronavirus pandemic, something that's becoming more and more difficult. Before we do that, though, Ian, I would like to hear about it. Oh, I would love to tell you about Thriven. So I want to hear about it. Yes, here I do. it
1: comes. Brace yourself, Brian. From it. All <laughs> right. So I've been a Thrive member for better part of a decade. I just met my rep like a week or two ago. Uh, they're awesome. You can check them out at Thriven.com. But – if you're looking for a career change, which I'm hearing more and more people really are actually. So wow. regardless of where you're listening, this, this actually could be a really great option, a great opportunity for you. So you can go to Thrivent.com careers or you can call 630-598-2128. If you're entrepreneurial, you want to be your own boss, you just like helping people, uh, this could be a good fit. So that's Thrivent.com careers or 630-598-2128.
0: Well, this uh, at pointer.org, you can find this already up on our Facebook page. They ask the question, uh, how do you consume news during the coronavirus pandemic? And before getting into it, like, are you finding this really difficult? I feel like uh, I was talking to my wife about this, like in any one Twitter stream, I will read an article that makes it seem like everything's going back to normal in a month or two. And the next article will be everything's going to be back to normal in 2021. And you're like. All over the place about everything. Uh, Is that how you're finding it to be? Are you finding it difficult to know what to trust and where to even look? Uh,
1: I I think it's difficult, but I don't think it's a new level of difficulty. I think that it's always been this way. You know, since doing this show, uh, I've developed some rhythms with regards to how I actually find my news and you know my attempts to make sure that I'm getting balance perspectives is this is something you and i have talked about a number of times like even making sure that i'm going to opposing sites just to sort of see the counter argument now the difficulty is you know you can get caught in that in that circle all day long if you're not careful so i I have a little bit of a a system now at this point now to be honest like our think tank has been really helpful so when i'll throw up a question they're like hey how are you guys navigating this and you see like four or five different responses that seem almost opposing you're like okay this is helpful for me to know. I probably otherwise would have only read this article. So I'm grateful for like friends and community that have helped keep me accountable to making sure my vision's not getting too myopic there, you know, but it's tough. It's tough to navigate, especially when you see stuff that seems to like outright contradict the previous article that you just read. Like that's that's tough.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's what I've been getting all over the place. It's like, you just don't know what to hold on to. And then also just the amount of news, right? Like just... Uh, the, uh, just the amount, and it's all centered on the coronavirus right now. Uh, and so this article talks about how, he just some tips from, uh, her name is Joy Mayer. She's the director of Trusting News, which is a project that trains journalists to demonstrate credibility and actively earn trust. Uh, and so she's got some skin in the game here. And at the very end of the article, I'd encourage you to look at the whole article, but at the very end of the article, she gives five bullet points to how to be a good Uh, news consumer. What are some tips? You said you've got some tips. She's going with, here's five tips on how to be a good news consumer. I thought these would be helpful for us to look at because like I said, if you're like me, you're you're struggling with that a little bit. So why don't we bounce back and forth on these uh, and see which ones are helpful. Why don't you read the first one?
1: All right. The first one, she says, if a news story seems unlikely, see if you can corroborate it elsewhere. Do a quick Google search or search on a news website that you trust. We've done uh, extensive segments about this idea. It's, I mean, it's never been easy, easier, technologically speaking, to say. Hey, before I hit share, I'm just going to do a quick Google search to see if this is actually legit. Yeah, and if you know the first 17 hits are all the exact same headline from a shady-looking site, (laughs) there's a a good chance that's maybe not 100% accurate. (laughs) I think it's really important and not to belabor the point. I think it's especially important for Christ followers. If we're people of the truth, uh, I think that needs to also include like the types of media that we choose to share. And a Google search takes three seconds.
0: That's right. That's right. Number two, check the source and know where you're getting your information. Are they legit? What's on their about page? Can you see evidence of their mission, their ethics and their history? So don't just read the article uh, go to the source and go, who are these people? Like, are, do they have an agenda? Are they trying to push something here? Yeah. Uh, what could they, what is the angle that they're coming from? As opposed to just reading everything like it's all neutral, like, oh, they're just right. trying to get out news right now. Check the source and know where you're getting your information.
1: Right. Next one is, I think, particularly important right now. Remember that information is changing quickly. And something you saw last night. Uh, might no longer be true that doesn't mean it wasn't true when it was reported so i i've certainly fallen into this before we probably even read information on the show that was a few hours old and by the time that we were actually reading it it was no longer accurate like that's been something that especially in this context i've been feeling additional weight around like gosh i hope this is at least close to up to date
0: but Yeah. yeah it's hard it's hard to know Yeah. Like you and I were just talking about face masks before. And I mean, for a while it was like, not just, you don't need to wear them, but it's actually worse to wear them. And then all of a sudden a week later, it was everybody wear them. (laughs) You're like, what just happened? Right. Uh, Number four, I found this one really interesting. Get in touch with journalists, especially the local ones, ask questions, let them know how they're doing and what you need to hear from them. Do that on their social media or by looking up an email address or phone number in general, the larger the news outlet, the less likely you are to get a personal response, but get in touch anyway. Mm-hmm. We often think of media as a one-way street, but she's saying, give feedback, ask questions, push back, and see if you can get a response. I don't normally do that at all, but that's fascinating. yeah,
1: I, I don't know a lot of people who actually do that, but I think that's a, I think that's a brilliant idea, especially yeah. at a local level. I think that like what she were saying earlier about you know the website in general, this post is super helpful. There's links to all sorts of other resources about how to navigate all this. So highly encourage you to head over to the Facebook page and check it out. The last one is use care in how you talk about journalism and quote, the media that are absolutely unethical and irresponsible actors under the huge media umbrella. But most journalists are driven by a public service mission to keep their communities informed. It feels vitally important to them and they're often risking their own health to do it. Please remind your own social networks about that if you have the opportunity and if you get a chance, Hmm. thank a journalist. Again, I would love to know what people think about that, but I tend to agree. I do think most journalists are driven by this public service mission. And it is unfortunate in the same way that we see this in churches, right? It's often the ones that are exploiting it, that get the media coverage that make headlines, but the vast majority are really trying to do this as ethically and responsibly as they can.
0: Yeah. And that's where it's been unhelpful in our culture uh, with that whole, you know, hashtag fake news and everything's fake news with an agenda. It does happen. Like there are people trying to push stuff, Uh, but the fact that there are segments of our culture that have put all of media under fake news uh, is not helpful. And so I do think this is this is a, a good point. And I, I just wanted to give that out there for you out there because if you're like us, you're probably wrestling with what do I believe right now? How do I figure this out? How do I go? And this article, I think, uh, uh, is helpful. How to be a good news consumer. It's up at our Facebook page. You can read it there. And uh, we'd love your feedback. Let us know uh, if you agree or disagree with it. Well, coming up next, Jordan Bumgarner. He served in student and music ministry roles for 15 years in the Chicagoland area. He is going to try to share some encouragement with us, and we're excited to hear that. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday, this Monday after Easter. Hopefully you had a great Holy Week uh, culminating in the Easter celebration of yesterday. Uh, one of the things we've been trying to do, especially in this season of uh, of fear and uh, anxiety around the coronavirus pandemic, is to have other voices from the Chicagoland area, and sometimes outside the Chicagoland area, people we know, people who've been on the show before, just to provide encouragement and perspective. And with that in mind, we're excited uh, to listen to uh, some encouragement from Jordan Bumgarner. Ian, he's a friend of yours. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who Jordan is before we listen to what he's got to say?
1: Yeah, he's affectionately referred to as J-Bum. So I'd, nice. I'd yeah, if you could refer to him as J. Bump for the remainder of the segment, I think that'd be really helpful. Uh, it'll be really clear, I think, why he and I so resonated because he's got a long history of both music and student ministry—two things that I really love and am passionate about. He and I also have a lot of the same taste in like really obscure old school Christian metal and punk. So, like,
2: <laughs> I remember
1: <laughs> I was speaking at a uh, our winter student conference, and I was talking about. Uh, sanctification with the students and I was referencing these two Puritan terms vivification and mortification Mm -hmm. and I made a joke about mortification sounding like a Christian metal band because they actually were Um, (laughs) so I put up their logo and I made some joke about it assuming nobody in the room would know what I'm talking about and he ran up to me and he goes do you know mortification? <laughs> I was like, we're going to be good friends. Yeah. So he, he and his wife are incredible. They got a great family, but they have this, uh, this wonderful band too called Lucrezio and they've been recording a lot and sharing these different uh, meanderings and thoughts and observations along with their songwriting. And I just think, I think the two of them are just great, wonderful people with a lot of wisdom, a lot of perspective and the way that they articulate things through their music is so timely and so needed. So,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear from him. Awesome. With that good introduction, let's listen to what J-Bum had to say.
3: So this is Jordan. Uh, you can call me J-Bum, and I just wanted to give you some encouragement today as we're still sheltering at home. So to let you know how I and my family have been uh, handling this uh, stay-at-home or this during this coronavirus COVID-19 season – um, I just have to say that this has been an opportunity to to just stop stop with the hurry, stop with uh, a lot of things and i 've been able to reconnect to uh, some passions of mine some uh, some hobbies some creative outlets uh, just being creative with my family in um, in uh, coming up with games and just creating moments and memories and And I, you know, it's also a daily reminder. I know that that right now I don't know what's going on in your world or with your family. Um, But today is a day. It's a gift. It's a blessed day. And and my family and I, we've been practicing gratitude and thanksgiving and just being uh, grateful for uh, still having a home and for the Lord providing. Um, And I know for you right now, you might feel like everything's just kind of crashing down. And, um, it makes me think about the story of Peter, uh, walking out on water. And I was kind of reflecting on this the other day, you know, we oftentimes think about the moment where he looks around and sees, um, the waves crashing and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink. The thing I started reflecting on the other day was, uh, when Jesus pulled him back out of the water, I don't believe the waves stopped crashing. I I think the storm was still raging what was going on around him was still active but Jesus was with him in the middle of it and and was commanding him to keep his gaze on him you see the storms of life are still going to happen but we have a savior a risen savior who will be in it with us in the midst of it like shadrach meshach and abednego right um, they were thrown into the fiery pit. They were thrown into into a furnace that was made hotter than uh, than any fire ever before in that situation. And even people uh, that were bringing them in were were dying from the the heat. But those those three guys were were having a party. But the fire was still raging, and yet there was a fourth person in there, an angel, God's presence, with the fire still raging. So a passage of scripture I'd like to leave with you today comes from Psalm 20. And it says this: some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And I'm a huge Tolkien nerd. And that sounds like the most epic, you know, adventurous thing I've ever, (laughs) one of the most adventurous things I've ever read from scripture, but some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. So I'd encourage you today, as hard as it may be, wherever you are to trust in the name of the Lord, our God, trust in Jesus who will be with you even in the midst of storm.
0: All right. Thankful for Jordan Bumgarner there sharing with us. What stood out to you? What, what did you appreciate about what Jordan had to say?
1: Well, it's something that you and I talk a lot about too, is like the the need to stop and yeah. how that's something, at least for me, I can know that I'm supposed to do, but it's not typically until it's forced upon me that I actually take the time to do it. And the reminder, honestly, that like, regardless of what reality we face ourselves, we face today is like, today is still a gift, you know, sort of like what Pastor Brackman was saying last week, Like because you woke up, because God sustained you, because you have breath in your lungs, you woke up, today is a gift. It's hard. I mean, I'm even, you know, I'm in my basement right now and I'm like, I can hear one of my boys crying. They've been kind (laughs) of crabby today, you know, and it's one of them didn't sleep last night at all. And it can be easy to... Let your vision kind of focus on like what's not great or what's not ideal or what you hadn't expected. But the reminder that,
0: that today was a gift, I think, was was really good. What'd you, what stood out to you? You know, one of the things that keeps standing out to me is uh, and one thing I've enjoyed about us doing this kind of project is we keep hearing some say similar things from people and they haven't heard the other people's. Uh, they might like have. Well, maybe this is Uh, a radio show, Brian. That's a good point. That's a good point. (laughs) Like you said, that opportunity to stop, but also this, uh, I I I've appreciated so many of the men and women who have shared with us talking, uh, pointing us to the presence of God in our lives and that, uh, that he will be with us in this, you know, Jordan said we have a risen savior who will be with us in this. Uh, I trust uh, this concept of trusting the Lord in the midst of the storm. Uh, This uh, this regular call to that today is a gift, uh, even with all that's going on around us, but that God's with us. He hasn't abandoned us. Now this pandemic has taken his place and stepped in, but no, no, God's not surprised by this. He's in the midst of this. And uh, and, and I love, it's one of my favorite stories that Peter walking on water story, he referenced it. You know, we, we usually think about Peter watching the waves, but Uh, Jesus pulls them up and those waves are still crashing and it's all about perspective. I don't know. I love the way he points us to God's presence in the midst of the storm and that, that we can trust in that.
1: Well, and that reference to Psalm 20, which I think is Psalm 27 talks about putting, you know, trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Like, you know, most of us don't have horses and chariots right now, but we are, I think, tempted to run to things other than God to cling to for hope or meaning or security. And I think a lot of that, to be honest, is understandable. And I don't think that we are not supposed to appreciate a house that protects us in a car that starts, but to not put those things before God, right? Like that. I think you're right. I think the, the idea that Peter is rescued, but there's still raging waves. Like Jesus has, right. He's not protection from the storm. He's protection in the storm. I think that is such a helpful distinction to remember that it's not just, Oh God, make all of this kind of go away or make the seas calm, which is sometimes what I pray, like, just take this from me. Like I don't want to, and God's like, no, we're going to, we're going to walk through this together. I just think, uh, I just think
0: this in general is such an important posture for us to remember. Absolutely. So thank you to Jordan Baumgartner. We really appreciate that. You put his website here. I think it is lucrezio music.com L U C R E Z I O music com. You can find him there. Thanks again, Jordan, for doing that for us. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about the Tiger King, and what does it tell us? Tell us a little bit about how do we best love our neighbors. That's coming up next year on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, really happy to have you joining us here on this Monday afternoon. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. You can find all the articles that we read, including a really interesting one we're about to do here. Uh, You can find that at our Facebook page, the common good radio show. You can find us on Twitter at common good talk online, 1160 hope.com. And as always find our podcast, wherever it is, you get your podcast, subscribe, rate review. And uh, we do appreciate as Ian likes to say, it helps us. We're not sure how, but it helps us somehow And so really thankful, and hopefully it is helpful for you. Uh, Before we talk about the Tiger King, uh, let me remind you of something exciting that's happening here at the radio station, because during the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. If you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. All one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Here's the best part. It's totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. And we hope that is helpful for you. Uh, One of the kind of, cultural phenomenon along uh, during this time of all of us being home is the number of people who have watched uh, i almost said the lion king you can tell what kind of things i'm watching right now i've also watched lion king so yeah you're, you're in good company <laughs> uh the old school animated or the new one which did you watch oh maybe both really okay no, why not why not uh which did you like more
1: I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of the classic, but the, the new one was better than I thought it was going to be. There's different. The songs are a little different. You got
0: updated character voices and whatnot. It was fun. OK, uh, remind our people like who are like me, who have never seen uh, the Tiger King. Remind us why that's a phenomenon, what it's all about. And then I want you to tell us about this this interesting article written by uh, Karen Swallow Pryor at Think Christian. But first, catch us up on the, the Tiger King.
1: Well, you asked me to explain why it's a phenomenon. I am certain I can't do that. There no, <laughs> there's no way for me to explain, but it, it is – the full title is Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness, and it follows the stars, a guy named Joe Exotic. Uh, Exotic is not his real last name, but that's who he chose, chooses to go by. And it follows the uh, apparently like pretty dark underbelly world of uh, big cat ownership and um, – I mean, it's really a bizarre story. And with every passing episode, my wife and I kept thinking, there's no way this could get any crazier. And then the following episode, it got crazier. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's taking place in a couple of different states, predominantly in the South. And there's some rivalries and there's some activists and there's some um, scandal and there's um, police involvement. And there's sort. I mean, there's polygamy, there's drugs, there's murder there. I mean, it's, it's, it really is just an unbel, it's an unbelievable um, smattering of characters and I've seen the internet kind of blow up with regards to why people think it's awful why people think it's amazing and everything in between Joe Exotic for example right now is in prison uh, spoiler alert I guess so um, <laughs> over at Think Christian and if you if that sounds familiar Think Christian we were first introduced to Think Christian because they had written an ebook called a theology of the office. Which Maybe one. our favorite segment we've ever done. <laughs> it's phenomenal. And yeah, they were kind enough to give us an interview. And so honestly cards on the table ever since then, I just signed up for their mailing list because the articles they write at think Christian are so yeah. interesting and timely. And I don't know anyone who's writing articles like this. So Karen Swallow Pryor is also somebody that we've talked about on the show a whole lot. And she wrote an article said, loving our tiger King neighbors and good following at Joe exotic. Are we part of the problematic crowd? So in full Karen Swallow Prior fashion, she takes this like cultural thing and helps shed some light on the way that culture is responding to it right. and how as Christ followers, maybe we should respond differently. It's really good.
0: Yeah. She says uh, kind of the take home line here. She says, I suggest we watch tiger King to help us better love our neighbors as ourselves. Like that's mm-hmm. a really big statement to make uh, that this helps us love our neighbors. Uh, so, as you kind of digest this, how, how could ever watching something like The Tiger King help us love our neighbors as ourselves?
1: Well, I think it gives some perspective. I mean, that that is something that honestly, that my wife and I kept saying while watching it, it was something like, oh, I can't believe people like this exist. Or I can't believe yeah. this story is even remotely true. And I think anytime that you find yourself saying something like that about someone else, there's an opportunity to step outside yourself a little bit, uh, maybe not walk a mile in their shoes, but at the very least have your heart challenged or softened towards someone else's condition or towards someone else's reality. Like the way that she closes the whole thing is brilliant. She says, although surrounded often by them, Jesus didn't play to the crowds. He often retreated from them. Sometimes he healed them. He always taught them. The human condition is such that we cannot escape being part of the crowd. We can only decide which crowds we want to belong to Hmm. instead of playing with tigers we need to be led by the lamb. And I, and again, like part of what I, I think her wisdom here is, is this an opportunity for us to have a finger on the pulse as Christ followers of not just some sort of Netflix phenomenon, because there's always something beneath the phenomenon. Why, why are people so resonating with this? Why are these characters so compelling to us? Why are these characters in situations that they're in in the first place? I think there's a lot of other layers that when you frame it through the lens of Jesus more invited to love people that look and talk and act very differently than us. Um, I think something like this could be a really interesting opportunity and an interesting litmus test for how good we are at actually loving people who are different from us.
0: Yeah. She says this, we can watch tiger King and congratulate ourselves for not being part of that crowd. Yes. Right. Uh, But perhaps we might ask ourselves which other crowds we belong to. And that reminds me right of what, uh, you know, what, the Pharisees would do to Jesus, you know, when they would pray, thank you that I'm not like that person. There was this arrogance that said, I'm not like them. And and she's saying, you know, maybe uh, the the beauty of a show like this uh, is that it's not to poke fun at that group of people, but to help us understand uh, who people are and how to love them, I think is a really interesting because, you know, we say it all the time here. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And what does that actually mean for neighbors who may not be very much like us.
1: Right. And I I think too, that's always a good question to ask yourself whenever you find yourself distancing yourself from a character, whether it's real or scripted, uh, ask what, what is it in me that wants to distance myself or to judge that person and to do the hard work of realizing, you know, I think even like that John Wayne Gacy song by Sufjan Stevens, where he's painting this picture of John Wayne Gacy, who's obviously just this I mean, a notorious murderer. And there's a line at the end of the song. He says something like, and in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath Mm -hmm. the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. So he spends this whole song making you feel just this disgust towards this character. And then the punch at the end is, yeah, all of us are inclined towards deviance and gossip and hatred and deceit. And I don't know, like, there is something very Jesus about hate be careful not to be pointing out specs. obviously what's happening yeah. in the show aren't specs in other people's eyes. There's like illegal activity. So I don't mean to diminish that at all, but it is a good spiritual exercise to ask yourself, Oh man, why do I so love pointing a finger at how that other person is right. or isn't doing that thing? What does
0: that reveal about my own heart? I think that's always a good question to ask. Yeah. Uh, in the 30 seconds we have left, have you have you come up with a new show now? Or are you binge watching something new or uh, where are you at now?
1: I'd love to talk about it another time, but the way SNL handled this last weekend was fascinating. Oh, I didn't even see it. Oh, okay. you got to go watch it. If you're listening, go watch. I mean, it's not their best SNL, but they're doing it, you know, via isolation, via self-quarantine <laughs> and something like a live performance I mean, Tom Hanks is hosting, and he starts the show in his kitchen. Like it's a no way. I didn't
0: see that at all. Wow, really, really, really interesting. Yeah. Okay, I will check that out tonight. While I'm talking to Alexa, we'll do both of them tonight. (laughs) I I don't believe you. Coming up next, uh, we're going to tackle the Kansas Supreme Court striking down a measure that allowed large church gatherings, and some other questions around. It seems like this push for allowing churches to gather. We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey,
1: everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thrive in Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had, And always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrivent, to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more.
0: Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the Kansas Supreme Court and about churches meeting during this pandemic. And then we're going to talk about mental health during the coronavirus. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday evening. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, that you're still doing well, kind of in your homes. Uh, Hopefully you're being able to be productive working from home uh, or whatever else it is that you're doing. We're glad you're taking some time to join us. You can always find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk online, 1160hope.com. And you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, thankful for those of you who do that. Uh, you probably saw over the weekend uh, there was a Supreme Court ruling in Kansas uh, that centered around a suit being brought about uh, exempting uh, church gatherings from the uh, you, you can't be in large groups. And uh, it says here the Kansas Supreme Court ruled against a legislative effort to allow for houses of worship to hold large gatherings upholding an earlier executive order from the governor. The state's highest court concluded that the Legislative Coordinating Council did not have the authority to revoke Governor Laura Kelly's order that banned gatherings of more than 10 people. Uh, And so we've seen this in a lot of states. Kansas is supposed to hit their peak here soon, uh, so people, you know, that the coronavirus is still, you know, spreading throughout Kansas. We've seen this in Florida where the governor said, uh, he's not going to force uh, churches and mosques and others to not meet. We saw in Kentucky, uh, where they said they're literally going to start looking at license plates of people still gathering, uh, so that they can, um, either ticket or whatever else, uh, I want to start with this question, man. Are you surprised? We talked about this last week, but are you surprised that continually this conversation around specifically churches still meeting is still going on? I'm not surprised. No. Why is that?
1: I think this is, I mean, you and I are pastors and we've talked a number of times about, you know, there is a vast majority that have been complying and then there's always going to be the outliers. And over the last, you know, two decades that I've been a pastor, there's always been the guy that crops up because he says he's going to have a public burning of the Quran or the church that's protesting outside the funeral of dead soldiers or the, you know, like there's, you're always going to have that. And I I honestly would be more surprised if the headline was 100% of churches comply. Like That would, <laughs> that to me would be like, wait, really? That doesn't seem right. Um, yeah. it, that's not to say it's not disappointing, but, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm surprised. Are you
0: No, I am surprised that it seems to be growing and maybe it was Easter or maybe it's just what the news is talking about. You and I always caveat it with 99% of the people we know in churches are doing this right in our opinion. Right. Um, But there's a quote at the end of this article that says they think it's totally inappropriate for the governor to tell them that they cannot worship in a way and in the manner that they choose to on Sunday uh, and, and some people are starting to get at, is there a bigger issue here about um, religious liberty uh, and real assaults on religious liberty emerging in the time of the pandemic? Uh, I want you to hear, uh, and then we'll continue to talk about it. I want you to hear what Albert Moeller said here. Albert Moeller is a leading voice, uh, not just only in the Southern Baptist world, but also uh, in all of evangelicalism. He's uh, got quite the resume and he talk specifically about this. So take a listen to this, and then we'll continue talking about it.
2: But over the course of the last several weeks, we have seen some government officials, indeed, not just a handful of government officials, go far over the acceptable line. They've gone over the line of the generally applicable policy. That means it's applicable to the public generally. Religion's not singled out. Christian churches are not singled out. The governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, issued a very strong warning and advisory against drive-in services, but he did not put them in the same category as services that would take place in a room. But Governor Bashir himself made an error earlier in the pandemic, a major error, when he said that churches should not meet, but he did not make that policy generally applied. He allowed, at that point, high school basketball games and other assemblies to go on. Churches were singled out. That's wrong. That's patently unconstitutional. Governor Bashir did correct that by issuing a generally applicable policy shortly thereafter. But across the nation, since the middle of March, we have seen governors, we've seen mayors, we've seen county commissioners and county health departments issuing policies that on their face are clearly unconstitutional, compromising and subverting religious liberty, which, after all, is not just one amongst other enumerated liberties enshrined in and respected in the United States Constitution. It is actually the first liberty, as our founders understood, the liberty upon which other liberties depend. In the state of Nevada, Governor Steve Sisolak also tweeted on the 8th of April that drive-in services would not be allowed. You've seen similar kinds of orders, but the language of those orders is very important. Is it a suggestion? Is it an urging? Is it an advisory? Or is it a commandment when it comes to the force of law? Or even in the case of what we saw here in Louisville, is there the threat that police will actually take down license plate numbers? It's hard to believe that that kind of language would be used by any American politician. You would think that the issue of respect for religious liberty would be so deeply ingrained in the American fiber that political leaders, regardless of party, regardless of office, would understand that they must do everything possible to make clear they are not violating or compromising religious liberty. That of all things, they're being extremely careful. Indeed, assiduously so, so that they would not be in the position of appearing to compromise the religious liberty rights of their citizens. And when you consider the use of police, just consider what humanity has learned, say, just over the 20th century about what it means for a political authority to threaten to have the police take down license plate numbers.
0: All right. So that's Albert Moeller and some of his thoughts. You can find a lot more of his thoughts at albertmohler.com. There's a lot more there for you. Um, You know, not just to ask you, what do you think? I guess what I want to ask is, do you see a bigger problem, a bigger precedent being set by the government telling churches when they can or can't meet? Or for you, does public health kind of trump everything here?
1: I don't know that I would say it trumps everything. I just, and we've talked about this in a number of different ways over the last 15 months I always get a little skittish when christian 's highest aim is to are to maintain their privileges and rights like the at the center of this gospel story are men and women who in a lot of ways are relinquishing their rights they're they're they 're choosing to serve and love they 're choosing to uh, assume the servant position, the lowest on the rung. And I always get, that's not to say there aren't things worth fighting for, right? If, uh, you know, Christians are being wrongfully, you know, terminated from their workplaces or whatever. But there, there's just something to me that says uh, that maybe priorities are a little out of whack that if there is enough solid scientific evidence, and I believe there is, that large gatherings like this actually pose a threat, not just to the people gathered, but to the people in their neighborhoods and communities that should be enough for Christ followers to say, you know what? I still would like to meet in person. I'm not happy about this. And you can even roll your eyes at the government if you, if you want, but to choose the more loving thing, even in the midst of a mandate that maybe you disagree with for me, and maybe somebody's saying, well, that sets a precedent or whatever. We could have that discussion. I just think yeah. when when the options on the table are fight for my rights or do the most loving thing for my neighbor – I think Jesus lands on love your neighbor every time.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mueller said it's hard to believe that any kind of language would be used. Uh, He says you would think that the issue of respect for religious liberty would be so deeply ingrained in the American fiber that political leaders, regardless of party, would understand that they must do everything possible to make clear they're not violating or compromising religious liberty. They're being extremely careful so that they would not be in the position of appearing to compromise the religious liberty rights of their citizens. So Mueller is a little bit saying uh, he just wants them to acknowledge that it's, you know, a, a, an extremely difficult time right now with a lot of moving parts right now. Yeah. But I guess I would close it by this and I, you and I are very much kind of in lockstep with this, like uh, this following, not just the rules, but also uh, doing what's in best interest public health wise, for our neighbors and for the most vulnerable is the most loving thing that we can all be doing right now. Uh, and that churches aren't being persecuted here, right? We're all shutting everything down, (laughs) like whether it be schools or businesses, uh, uh, athletic event, whatever else it might be. So uh, we would love your opinion. You might think we're totally wrong. In fact, we've posted some stories about this kind of thing, and we've been told by people, we think you're wrong. So we would love to hear from you. Do that at our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. Well, Coming up next, uh, a couple different articles that are going to highlight uh, the, the mental health issues of depression and anxiety and other aspects that are going to happen more and more through this coronavirus pandemic. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you joining us today. Uh, We hope that you're doing well on this Monday after Easter. Hopefully, uh, you're still uh, thinking about and reflecting upon uh, the good news of the empty tomb and all that we celebrated yesterday, albeit virtually uh, all that we celebrated yesterday in our various churches on Easter Sunday. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at the common good radio show. You can find us on Twitter at common good talk. You can find us online at 1160 hope.com and you can find our podcast, wherever it is. You get your podcast. Basically Ian, what I just told them is they can find us a lot of places.
1: Yes, but we haven't determined whether or not, Alexa can help.
0: <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have left that door open for you. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I mean, you set him up I knock him down, man. That was almost too easy.
0: <laughs> and I, I, if I'm gonna make a, a confession right now, okay. we were actually playing with with Alexa this weekend, Come making her on. jokes and stuff. I am, <laughs> I am like. I think I just have a mental block with this. Now I, I need a psychologist to help unpack this because now it's just gotten ridiculous.
1: Every psychologist listening is saying, no, you don't. You just, need to do it. <laughs> you just need to do
0: it. Marsha Vaughn, Marsha Vaughn is listening like, no, nah, that's not it. Nope. <laughs> I do want to tell you about something good going on here that the radio station is doing. Cause during the coronavirus pandemic uh, we know that there are many businesses that have sadly had to close their doors or reduce their hours But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one words, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. And it's totally free. No catch, uh, no Uh, hidden sales thing here. It's totally free, something we're doing for you. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. So Ian, uh, people may not know this is how we do stuff, but you and I, we we will both post a bunch of articles that we're reading or thoughts that we're having as we put the show together. And you had kind of grouped together uh, three different articles all in a row uh, about uh, depression and mental health issues in the face of uncertainty and basically around uh, what is going o- what is going to go on, what is going to be the lasting effect or the effect now of this coronavirus pandemic, uh, specifically around issues of mental health. So why don't you speak to that a little bit, whether it be from the article or just some of your own thoughts about what might be some of the underlying things we don't think about during this pandemic.
1: I think it's really important to have the conversation uh, multiple times because mental health is obviously this massive umbrella, and we're all dealing with pandemic and uncertainty and social isolation in various different ways. So it's something that I want to be really mindful to continue to kind of put at the forefront of our conversation. And I was listening to a sermon by John Mark Comer, Bridgetown Church on the West Coast. And he had referenced this article and it kind of sent me down this rabbit trail. I found a couple of articles that I found really interesting. I want to just read one of them um, from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And it's about a month old. So just keep that in mind. But the headline says, Taking Care of Your Mental Health in the Face of Uncertainty. So I'm going to read that. And we have a couple of other... Articles that we'll post to the Facebook page that uh, I think will be a good resource at the very least. But for me, I just want to say it out loud. I'm kind of dedicated to this being a consistent conversation. Yes. Because I think it's really, really important, not only in times of pandemic, but I think unfortunately, historically, the church has not done a great job of giving voice and space for some of these conversations. So here, here's how this one article begins it says, Human beings like certainty. And Brian and I would probably also fit in that category. That's right. We are hardwired to want to know what is happening uh, and when to notice things that that feel threatening to us. When things feel uncertain or when we don't generally feel safe, it's normal to feel stressed. This very reaction, while there to protect us, can cause all sorts of havoc when there is a sense of uncertainty and conflicting information around us. A large part of anxiety comes from a sense that what we think we should be able to control but can't. Right now, many of us are worried about COVID-19, known as the coronavirus. We may feel helpless about what will happen or what we can do to prevent further stress. The uncertainty might also connect to our uncertainty about other aspects of our lives or remind us of past times when we didn't feel safe and the immediate future was uncertain. In times like these, our mental health can suffer. We don't always know that it's happening. You might feel more on edge than usual, angry, helpless, or even sad. You might notice that you are more frustrated with others, or want to completely avoid any reminders of what is happening, for those of us who already struggle with our mental wellness, we might feel more depressed or less motivated to carry out our daily activities. It's important to note that we are not helpless in light of current news events. We can always choose our response. If you're struggling, here are some things you can do to take care of your mental health in face of uncertainty. And I just want to read quickly these five suggestions because I think they're really helpful. Number one, separate what is in your control from what is not. There are things you can do and it's helpful to focus on those. Wash your hands, remind others to wash their hands, take your vitamins, limit your consumption of the news. Number two, do what helps you feel a sense of safety. This would be different for everyone. And it's important not to compare yourself to others. It's okay. If you've decided what makes you feel safe is to limit attendance of large social events. Again, this is a month old. So make sure you separate uh, when you are isolating based on potential for sickness versus isolating because it's part of depression. That's a really important distinction. Number three, get out in nature, even if you're avoiding crowds. Again, this article is a month old. I took a walk yesterday afternoon in my neighborhood with my daughter. The sun was shining. We got our dose of vitamin D, and it felt good to both get some fresh air and quality time together. Exercise both helps you physically and mentally. Hmm. Number four, challenge yourself to stay in the present. Perhaps your worry is compounding. You're not only thinking about what is currently happening, but also projecting into the future. When you find yourself worrying about something that hasn't happened, gently bring yourself back to the present moment. Notice the sights, sounds, tastes, and other sensory experiences in your immediate moment and name them. Engaging in mindfulness activities is one way to help you stay grounded when things feel beyond your control. And number five, stay connected and reach out if you need support. Talk to trusted friends about what you're feeling. If you're feeling particularly anxious, if you're struggling with your mental health, it's okay to reach out to a mental health professional for support. I would say it's even better than okay. It's it's recommended. You don't have to be alone with your worry, and it can be comforting to share what you're experiencing with those trained to help. So again, those are really practical, really simple, maybe even seem, you know, obvious to some of us, but it's a good reminder, I think, amidst uncertainty to prioritize some of those things. Because, you know, when we're in the midst of uncertainty, we don't typically make our best decisions. And I, I, I want to make sure that we're always kind of putting that kind of stuff out in front of us.
0: Yeah, those are really helpful. And I, I would have to think, and this is just conjecture on my part, but I'd be curious if you'd agree that in something unprecedented, like what we're going through in a time of a pandemic, there's probably almost a guilty feeling if you're not doing well, but at the same time, not sick. Like I I Mm -hmm. don't have the coronavirus. So what do I, A, what do I have to be, you know, sad about or depressed about or just struggling with and B, so therefore I'm not going to reach out to somebody to talk because, at least I'm healthy. My family's healthy. And you almost try to guilt yourself for not feeling great, for not, for not doing well. Do you think that could be uh, an issue people deal with? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. And I think it's one of the things, it's why I'm so committed to helping dismantle some of the stigma because that I think they're part and parcel. Some of the stigma historically has been, unfortunately, especially among Christians that Oh, the only reason that you would reach out to a mental health professional is if you're like unraveling at the seams, right. or you're manic or you're a danger to yourself and others. That's not true at all. Like that's yeah. it's it's helpful to have someone help kind of untangle the ball of yarn in your head. And right. the idea that that's like reserved for someone like this is their last ditch effort, I think, especially during a pandemic. And now since so many you know therapists are doing things via Zoom and other platforms. It's a perfect time. You don't even have to drive yeah. to an <laughs> office building. If, you know, if you struggle with that, like turning around halfway there or whatever, like just set it up, log on. And uh, my guess is that you'll be really glad that you did. And it's, again, not all therapists are created equal, but it is something that I'm committed to helping kind of
0: destigmatize and continue to do so because I think it's a, it's a battle that we're always going to have to face. Yep, and we've seen the the conjecture that people have already made that uh, the divorce rate is going to be high coming out of this because we're all in our homes and around each other for so much time. Like, right. what better time to do the maintenance on your marriage or yeah, totally, you know, to get with a counselor who can help uh, if you're struggling individually. Get with someone, like you said, before it's like crisis mode um because you know i I like how that article started we like certainty and right now things feel really uncertain they feel really unsettled uh and so uh we'd encourage you uh, to go ahead and do that so thanks for reading that article that was helpful you can find it up on our facebook page and also some other ones around this issue of mental health particularly in the time of this pandemic uh coming up next we've been trying to highlight some good news things that are uh, put a smile on your face. So we're going to do that good news coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, really happy to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter at Common Good Talk, uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, and uh, that does help us. And we are appreciative to those of you who do that. Uh, one of the things we've been trying to do in all of this uncertainty and anxiety of the coronavirus pandemic is to highlight good news, highlight things that churches, organizations, individuals are doing, or just stories that'll make you smile. And uh, we are gonna do that here. But before we do, speaking of organizations doing good things, Ian, tell us again about Thrive It. Woo, good segue, Brian. Well that done. Is, uh, that is professional right there. Well, I did I didn't say that. Um, I, did. I did. I'm gonna I'm gonna wear that as a badge of honor, right? There. I know you will. <laughs> I know you will.
1: All right, so Thrive Financial. It's a Fortune five hundred non for profit. They've been around for more than a century. I'm a Thrive member, have been for better part of a decade. Great organization. Highly encourage you to check them out. But the, the thing that I want to bring up specifically is if you're looking for a career change or you're interested in a career change or you just want to talk to another human on the telephone, you can do that <laughs> right now. 30 <laughs> or you can go to com slash careers. If you are entrepreneurial, you got a, a desire to come alongside people, you want to be a part of an organization that's giving back, that's like doing good in the world. Uh, I just can't think of a better organization than Thrivent. So again, com slash careers or 630-598-2128. I don't think you'll regret doing that.
0: Not at all. So one of the things, as I said, we've been trying to do is highlight good news stories. And I, I want to start by saying like uh, we could spend our entire two-hour show highlighting the good work being done by our, uh, you know, our medical professionals and our first responders. And uh, they are the true heroes in this time. Uh, I have CNN on in the background, and they were just doing a story about nurses, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, I don't have the sound on, so I'm just trying to follow it. Going, this is crazy—the the the, right. the danger that they're putting themselves in, and the care they're showing for people. Um, but we do want to highlight some things going on on the fringes, some things that churches are doing, and individuals, and uh, hopefully, just put a smile on your face. Let me read the first one. Uh, this is from the thegoodnewsnetwork.org. Aspiring barista uses coffee shop supplies to make free drinks for essential workers from his window. Fabulous picture to goes along with this article. Uh, Rather than twiddling his thumbs in self-isolation, this aspiring San Francisco barista has been making free coffee for essential workers passing by his window. Prior to the novel coronavirus shutdowns across California, Ben Ramirez had been taking barista classes, with the hopes of eventually opening up his own coffee shop. Since Ramirez has been forced to stay inside his home, he decided to use his abundance of brewing supplies and ingredients to make free coffee for mailmen, hospital Mm -hmm. staffers, and other essential workers walking past his window. He is careful to maintain social distancing guidelines by using a toy gorilla arm that he borrowed from his son (laughs) to pass the coffee uh, to visitors. He said, I've always wanted to do something out this window. Ramirez told WABC, you know, we have this nice small street where everyone knows each other. If you're inspired to run a similar labor of love out of your household window, Ramirez says he has been advertising to passerby simply by setting out a sidewalk sign that reads free coffee. So that's a guy doing what he loves and doing what he's able to to bless people. And the picture's awesome because he's in his window and he's in like the barista uniform. Uh, yeah. just giving out free coffee. Uh, even as someone who doesn't like coffee, I can, I can, uh, really appreciate that story right there. I'm
1: just amazed at the innovation that people have come up with. Like I, uh, I've mentioned before, we have an initiative now called community cares. Yep. And, uh, if you want to learn more community, christian.org slash cares, we've developed, uh, more than, more than 10 different teams who have identified the different, uh, high needs in our community. And on Monday and Wednesdays, I've been doing a uh, an interview around lunchtime with the different people who are leading the teams. Uh-huh. So I was chatting with Mike Charta today, and uh, he's doing a lot of the food redistribution stuff. And he was telling a story of a family where the little kids got involved, and they drew, like, a big circle in sidewalk chalk in their cul-de-sac for people to, like, leave donations for other people to come pick up, uh, like, the kinds of things that they were in need of. And that was, like, insp- it was the inspiration of a couple of kids. Like, That's hey, so what cool. if we created this safe space for everybody in our community to kind of be a part of, you know, finding a solution. I don't know. There's just more and more stories like this that have been really encouraging to me. And I'm, I'm grateful for them. This next Absolutely. one is no exception. Uh, I'm friends with some of these people. So a, an NJ, does that say for New Jersey, Brian? Is that <laughs> right? Oh, it is the it's motherland, <laughs> the motherland, <New> my motherland. <laughs> yes. New Jersey megachurch distributes 26,000 pounds of release supplies in Easter baskets. So this is over the Christian The photo is incredible. It says a New Jersey-based multi-site megachurch is distributing approximately 26,000 pounds of relief supplies, including food, toilet paper, and hygiene kits on Easter weekend. Liquid Church is working with Convoy of Hope to distribute the supplies which are being stored at their Parsippany, is that right? That's right. Parsippany campus and organized into emergency relief kits that are wrapped in Easter baskets or boxes. On Saturday morning, the kits were picked up by those who registered at the church's website by filling out an emergency relief request. Then on Easter Sunday, some 40 church volunteer drivers will distribute the baskets to senior citizens and other families in quarantine. In addition to the aforementioned supplies, other items in the relief kits include bottled water, bleach, diapers, paper towels, and wipes. I love that story. It goes on and on to talk about uh, liquid church outreach director, uh, Kristen Hosen, but the, the general sense though, that churches are taking, especially a day like Easter, as an opportunity to serve and love other people. To me, I just think it's fantastic.
0: Absolutely. So this next story, a little weird because uh, it's uh, four years old, but I was reading it today, <laughs> and, and I just went like, that is like, this is like a Disney movie come to life. And so I want to read it for you. This penguin swims 5,000 miles every year for a reunion with the man who saved his life. Uh-huh. This has got to be one of the most heartwarming wildlife stories ever published here on Adapt. This is at adaptnetwork.com. This little South American penguin swims 5,000 miles to a beach in Brazil every year in order to be reunited with the man who saved his life. A uh, 71-year-old retired bricklayer and part-time fisherman, uh, Joao Pereira de Souza, who lives in an island village just outside Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, found the small penguin lying on rocks of his local beach in 2011. The penguin was covered in oil and running out of time fast. Zhao rescued the penguin, naming it Din Din, uh, cleaned the oil off its feathers and fed him a daily diet of fish to rebuild his strength. After a week of rehabilitation, Zhao attempted to release the penguin back into the wild. However, Din, Din had already formed a family bond with his rescuer and wouldn't leave. He stayed with me for 11 months, and then just after he changed his coat with new feathers, he disappeared. The little guy wasn't gone long, though, and just a few months later, he was back at the same beach. He spotted Zhao fishing and followed him home, staying with him for the rest of the year. Amazingly, this cycle has continued over the past five years. Each year, Dindin spends approximately eight months with Zhao and is believed to spend the rest of his time breeding on the Patagonian coast of Argentina and Chile. Uh, he said, I love, uh, Jao said, I love the penguin like it's my own child, and I believe the penguin loves me. No one else is allowed to touch him. He pecks them if they do, but he lays on my lap, lets me give him showers, allows me to feed him sardines, and to pick him up. So every year for those five years, uh, he was going, and I don't know where the story is at now, but he would travel 5,000 miles in order to get back to this man, that right there, my friend, is a Disney movie waiting to happen.
1: I am so surprised that you chose this article. The whole time I'm listening to you read it thinking I never in a million years would have, would have anticipated you choosing this story.
0: I was in a I was in like just a just a good mood this morning, like a sappy mood, I think.
1: <laughs>
0: it is. I mean that that is the mood that would be required to select a story like this for sure. I loved it. Now, I could have made the joke about him naming them Din Din, that that would have been a... <laughs> what would the joke have been, Brian? Dinner. Dinner. Something around dinner. <laughs> mm. Have you ever had penguin meat? Uh, no. I'm not. A, I, I don't know if anybody... I don't know. Uh, oh, you you ever you've never penguin? lived, Brian. Let me ask you, if you had penguin meat.
1: I think we're out of time on this. <laughs> here. Oh, boy.
0: Time to wrap this one up, right? Speaking of uh, going from good news to crazy news, we are going to end the show the way we always end every show with some interweb insanity uh, where we read stories uh, from our producers. That's what we're going to do next here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking, and so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously, and that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches, to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today.
2: Here's some weird stuff we found
0: on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And that music, that rejoin music can only mean one thing. It means interweb insanity, where we get stories from our producers, PJ, or our other executive producer, Keith Conrad. And uh, they give us stories sight unseen. We just read them. We don't know if they're funny, if they're disturbing, if they're both and uh, we have yet to lose our jobs over these. We're hoping that continues today. And uh, so, Ian, I'm going to give you the first one. And let's just cross our fingers that they're good today.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. Italy. Mafia distributes food to Italy's struggling residents. As Italy struggles to pull its economy through the coronavirus crisis, the mafia the article is linked to mafia. I, wonder what that <laughs> link is. I
2: don't,
1: I don't think I want to click. I don't want to click on that. Uh, Is gaining local support by distributing free food to poor families in quarantine who have run out of cash, authorities have warned. In recent weeks, videos have surfaced of known mafia gangs delivering essential goods to Italians hit hard by the coronavirus emergency across the poorest southern regions of Campania, Calabria, Sicily and Puglia as tensions rise across the country for over a month. Shops, cafes, restaurants, and pubs have been closed, Nikolai Gratera, anti-mafia investigator and head of the prosecutor's office, told The Guardian. Millions of people work in the gray economy, which means they haven't received any income in more than a month and have no idea when they might be returning to work. Mafias are not just criminal organizations, though a professor of criminology at the University of Oxford said. They are organizations that aspire to govern territories and markets. Commentators often focus on the financial aspects of mafias, but they tend to forget that their strength comes from having a
0: local base from which to operate. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. All right. We're one for one. Happy mafia story. I'm good with that. All right.
1: Well, it doesn't sound like it's entirely
0: happy, though. That's a good point. Moderately happy. I will go with. I'll go with that.
1: (laughs) That's an an interesting ethical discussion. Is Is it worth the short-term benefit of having people's immediate needs met if it means that the mafia in the future has stronger inroads in those communities. That's an interesting question.
0: That really is. But the next interesting question is gonna come out of the Czech Republic. Well, right on. Czech nudists told to wear face masks by police. Hmm. Face masks aren't mandatory everywhere, but strict rules on wearing them have been enforced in the Czech Republic, even for nudists. <laughs> the European country has begun to relax restrictions imposed because of the coronavirus, but at the height of the concerns late last month, Police were called in to remind people that while it was okay to go naked in designated public places, mouths needed to be covered. Czech law enforcers issued a warning after officers were called out on March uh, 27th east of Prague because of complaints about maskless naturists basking in the warm weather. Unfortunately, uh, many of the sunbathing citizens were gathered in large groups and some were not wearing face masks, a police statement said. Upon the arrival of the police, everyone agreed to respect the government regulation. Look at me. I'm
1: Yeah, File that under headlines I didn't think we would ever have to read. But (laughs) (laughs) no, alas, here we are. Okay, Stan International, UK, British man retakes world's largest Rubik's Cube record. So he (laughs) held it, lost it. And held it again. A British puzzle enthusiast recaptures his Guinness World Record title by building a Rubik's Cube that measures six feet and seven inches on each side. Tony Fisher, who held the record for world's largest Rubik's Cube from 2016 to, to until 2018, said his latest creation took about 330 hours to build. My goodness. Whoa. The result? A fully functional Rubik's Cube that stands six feet seven inches tall was enough to retake the record from the TELUS Spark Science Museum in Canada, which assembled a five foot six inch Rubik's Cube. Mr. said his interest in puzzles began in 1980 when he received his first Rubik's Cube at age 14. He made puzzle design his full time job in 2010.
0: That doesn't make sense. Have you ever completed a Rubik's Cube? Have you ever solved one?
1: Uh, yes, but I it was via me removing the stickers.
0: <laughs> nice. It's amazing when people have figured out the algorithm and can do them in like five seconds or 10 seconds, but nope. Yeah, nothing. that's nuts. UK, we're going to stay international. Driver caught doing 130 miles per hour, claimed he was trying to avoid catching the coronavirus. Uh, Surrey police stopped the driver of an M25 on Tuesday. The force posted a tweet which read, An officer stopped a driver who was speeding on the M25 at 130 miles per hour. His reply on why he was speeding was, I thought the faster I went, the less chance I would catch coronavirus. The driver reported to court. Police forces across the country have reported that some motorists are taking advantage of quieter roads by driving at higher speeds. The Metro Police revealed that one driver was caught speeding twice in two days on the same stretch of the A10 in Enfield, north of London, with a 40-mile-per-hour limit. He was clocked doing 60 on Monday and 67 on Tuesday.
2: Always remember, if you ain't first, you're last.
1: All right, looks like it's the show with international interweb insanity, which is three eyes, so my pastor heart is very happy about that. And to make it four eyes, this last one's out of Italy uh four eyes i wear glasses <laughs> anyway uh italian mayor used drones to scream profanities at residents ignoring lockdown i'm so nervous what the sound effects going to be <laughs> the mayor in italy has taken another novel drone based approach to encouraging messina residents to stay indoors during the coronavirus crisis which has affected italy worse than any other country i don't think that's true anymore actually i think Either way, in a video from Euronews, Mayor Catano De Luca can be heard shouting profanities at Italians venturing outdoors through speakers attached to a drone. Where the bleep are you going? Go home, he tells two men in the video who run in apparent fear
2: from the drone. Ah, uh, scusi. de boopi. che cosa? Peter, what are you doing? Speaking Italian. Babidi boopi. Peter, you can't speak Italian
3: just because you have a mustache.
0: de babidi i think they had reason to fear a drone swearing at them that would be scary <laughs> yeah, I, i'd
1: uh, i'd do more than just walk away from that that's for sure yeah,
0: that is true well we're glad you joined us on this monday afternoon uh we hope you join us again tomorrow Uh, from 4 until 6 p.m. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.